Yarran Libraries acknowledges the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung as traditional owners of the land this podcast was recorded on, pays tribute to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in Yarra and elsewhere, and gives respect to elders past, present and emerging. listening to a Yarra Libraries podcast. Here at Yarra Libraries, we've recently teamed up with the Melbourne School of Philosophy to deliver a series of philosophy workshops. Community Programs Officer Nell recently discussed wonder, meditation, and how philosophy applies to our everyday life with the school's Peter Farrago. I'm here today with the lovely Peter Farrago from the Melbourne School of Philosophy, who has been working closely with me to deliver a series of philosophy workshops for the Yarra Libraries community. Um, Last night via Zoom, Peter presented the first in a series of three workshops entitled Philosophy Begins with Wonder. And today we're going to delve a bit deeper into some of the things we discussed last night. Peter, how are you going? Uh, Very well, thank you, Nell. Last night, you started off the session asking us to recall early memories. So things such as our first memory of the sea, learning how to read, our first memories of colour and so forth. I'd now like to ask you... What is your earliest memory? And also, why did you ask the class this question? Well, the first memory that I can recall was one of fear. Uh, And I was in my mother's arms, so I was very small, and I was taken for my first haircut. (laughs) And I can remember going into a barber shop and there was a chap there. I think I'm fantasising the big moustache, but... Uh, He had a white coat on, there was a big white chair and the tiles, all these white tiles, and he was standing there with a pair of scissors in his hand and I felt absolute, and it it was like a fisheye lens and I felt absolute terror. (laughs) So that's my first memory. Why did you ask the class this question? Um, Because I do remember the first time I saw the sea and... I do remember the first time I read, I was able to read, and I just remember that extraordinary sense of wonder. Uh, And as Socrates says, uh, wonder is the feeling of a philosopher, and philosophy begins in wonder. And I just remember being full of wonder when I was young. Where does the wind come from? Where does the wind go? How do I go to sleep? How do I wake up? What are dreams? How does a mirror work? Yeah. So it was just a natural desire to understand. And uh, it was a state of wonder. Mm. And I suspect most of us at some point all wonder about all manner of things. And wonder is uh, a natural precursor to inquiry. Was there a particular turning point in your life that brought you to philosophy and how did that lead you to the school? There has always been a desire for knowledge and I have probably been a seeker uh, in some ways and I've looked in all manner of places and some of them are not so healthy and um, mm. uh, and I always thought my integrity would get me through as I enjoyed 
my what I call my lost years, and um, and they were good. They were good times too, in a lot of ways. But but there was a sense that something was missing, and um, there was a curious event. Uh, one morning, I woke up. I was living interstate, and um, there was this sense of, oh, today I find what I'm looking for. And I went out and bought the paper with the, the only money I had and at the time. And um, I didn't look at the front page. I just opened straight up at the ad, which uh, was directing uh, my attention toward the school. And so I tore the ad out and I had it sitting there for a few days and I knew that if I didn't respond to it, I'd regret it for the rest of my life. Uh, oh, wow. I walked, wow. So I walked, yeah, I walked in and um, the moment the person started, uh, it was a very funny moment actually, and my memory of it again is probably a bit distorted after 40 years, but uh, in those days they had an ashtray on every second seat. <laughs> This was in Sydney, and um, it was down a a lane surrounded by pinball arcades, so you could hear all this noise. Anyway, this chap walked in with an ill-fitting suit, his hair smeared down. Uh, he uh, told a joke, tripped over the lectern and fell into the Venetian blinds, and I thought, this is the place <laughs> for me. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> And I've been there ever since. Did he do it on purpose, or was it? No. Did he do it? No. <laughs> he just tripped over the lectern and into the Venetians, and it got even crazy. It got even crazier. But I, I, I just, but the moment he started speaking, I knew that this was a lifetime's work. It was instant. I just knew. Uh, oh wow! Right, I didn't realise it was that kind of meaningful. This when I thought of this question, I thought it would be yeah. I thought it would be oh, I did it at uni, and then you know, met no. someone that you know. But you literally woke up and went searching, went seeking for something, and found an ad in the newspaper and answered. And, and I love stuff like that. I love stories like that. I actually knew I was going to find it that day. I woke mm. up knowing that that was that I was. Going to it was that's that's how it happened. And you talk about your wasted years. Is mm -hmm. you know how a lot of the time people talk about this kind of rock bottom theory that people come to kind of spirituality or religion or AA, AA meetings or whatever it is because of rock bottom kind of circumstances in a, in their life. Was that was that was it like that for you, or did you just feel a bit of an, of an emptiness? No, there was a moment where I knew I was lost. Yeah. It was literally like that. I mean, I'm being a little bit facetious about it, but there was definitely that sense of I'm lost, I need to find my way home. That was it. And obviously it's shaped your life in such a huge way. Uh, yes. Um, you can't really engage with something like the school, which is – it's a system, and it's if you have to define what the system is, you'd probably describe it as the science of self-knowledge, um, how it's described in one of the ancient texts, the 
Bhagavad Gita talks about the science of self-knowledge. And so it really is a case of, in this instance, the big questions like, who am I? What is my purpose? What What is this creation? What's my relationship to it? All of those questions are uh, the grist with which we work. Well, that actually takes me to my next question because... I did want to get your idea of kind of what philosophy is to you because I – so back in my publishing days, I worked – I was a publicist and I worked on a book called The Book of Dead Philosophers by a guy called Simon Critchley and he worked at some university in New York. I can't remember where. Um, and the book – I read the book and I loved it and I thought it was fantastic and I was like, oh, philosophy is great. And then I went along and watched Simon do a talk at the University of Sydney and – after about two minutes, even though I was concentrating so hard, I felt like he was talking another language and it just flew over my head and it was so beyond me that I got this impression that afternoon that kind of philosophy is, it's almost like a brain gymnastics, you know, that it's for, you have to, you know, it's for like elite brain athletes, people that train very hard you know you need to train hard in philosophy to get your head around these ideas um and yet in your session last night you asked us to do a mindfulness exercise which is very much about the body and is much less cerebral and i was going to say ask you what is philosophy to you is it both is it one or the other yeah what what is philosophy to you personally well, if we go back to the meaning of the word, it means love of wisdom. And uh, that question came to mind as a very young boy when I would say, well, what do I seek? And, I, and the answer was wisdom. But I didn't know what that word meant. So in a way, I probably spent a lifetime trying to understand what that word means. And philosophy, as we practice it, it it's at the school that you spoke of earlier is actually a school of practical philosophy. So it is not a theoretical um, study, and I'm not that way inclined. Mm. Uh, it is practical, and it is you described the exercise, which is as a mindfulness exercise. Well, mindfulness is just one aspect of a, a very large and ancient Buddhist tradition. Uh, but the, so the exercise is actually one of giving attention. So it's it's actually working with um, th that which is natural to discover that which is natural. And um, so I find the intellectual pursuit, and I do enjoy the cut and thrust of a good philosophical discussion, but it's not to prove a point. It's actually to understand. And when you start reading the... Uh, the words of the wise, they're usually, well, they are very deep. It's a, it's a little bit like reading Shakespeare or or scripture of some description. You can read it and it doesn't mean mean anything. You can't hear it. Mm -hmm. And then one day you reread re it and suddenly the meaning is utterly apparent. It, you just know what it means. It's, it's mm. clear as day. And you come back to it a couple of days later and you can't hear it again. So yeah. it, it's, a, it's a totally different approach, really. Um, so philosophy for me is a, 
means of inquiring into um, and seeking for that which is true. It's very interesting. There was one class I was taking many years ago and we were discussing truth and this chap who was very angry, he was there because his girlfriend wanted him to be there, and he called out and he said, there's no such thing as truth. And the question that arose here was, well, what do you seek? And he said, knowledge. And the question that came back was, well, what sort of knowledge do you want? True knowledge or false knowledge? And he said, true knowledge, of course. And everyone burst into laughter. So um, everyone wants the truth when it suits them. Um, you know, and the, the classic example is um, the criminal who wants their colleague to tell them the truth so that they can avoid capture, for example. Um, yeah. You know, so it, there is this desire that we all share. It's just that it is often um, couched in terms of what it is that we want for ourselves. And uh, the search that philosophy um, allows is not individual. It's the idea is the, the benefit for all. I mean, you, you saw those people last night mm. and how after some time they engaged and started to talk about things which really mattered to them. Yeah, um, yeah. And it was really simple and it wasn't theoretical at all. And, and it, was, yeah. it grew out of those exercises. And that's, I, I did notice that, that it wasn't, it was really accessible for us all. Um, mm. And so is that the way that the school operates? So is it quite, you said, called it a practical philosophy or is it quite yes. accessible all the way through? So people would start off, um, even if they've been going to classes for, for many years, will they still, will it still be practical or does it get to a point where it gets to that kind of brain gymnastics stage uh you know it's well it's always practical i mean that's mm. the nature of of the work although the material does become quite um i won't use the word esoteric but when you when you start to investigate some of the material that's available uh, th- these works have been generated by people of immense intellectual power, but based on acute observation. Um, Part of the thing that school is very adept at is endeavour, and and it grows from the founder's original realisation that when people meet together, they often talk a different language, like we interpret what others are saying based on, um, you know, how we feel at that moment, how we see them, how we see ourselves and all the rest of it. Whereas philosophy is also part of learning a common language. And part of that is actually being able to develop the powers of observation through developing attention so you can actually see what's going on in the mind and in, in the emotional field and then, you know, articulate it. Um, so. And all of that's been recorded for millennia um, by those who have gone before. And, mm. you know, and it's when you talk about the school, there is there is a hierarchy in terms of there's a leadership and uh, in the school. And um, 
uh, but everyone's there voluntarily and mm -hmm. um, we're all students. No one professes to be, well, if they do, um, pr profess to be wise and I certainly don't wish to give that impression that I think <laughs> that because it's certainly not the case. And um, so there is this uh, sense of all working together for, you know, for the good of all. But mm. but it's 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 not altruistic either. It's gen, general. It's genuine purpose is to help people rediscover that which is natural to them, their own nature. So the mm. the, the wisdom that we all have access to, the the happiness which is natural to us, um, and what tends to happen when we get caught up in the world is, is we, we become uh, attached to it, bound to it. And last night, you may remember one of the um, young ladies spoke about suddenly having time to reflect on things and mm. her whole sense of time and even her sense of herself was shifting because, you know, the, the, the um, relentlessness of, being engaged in the world it was falling away because of this period of lockdown with the uh, the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So whilst on the one hand you could say it's a really bad thing, uh, it has been described as the, by the leader of the school uh, globally as a, um, a time of uh, like a resetting or a rebalancing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think this... Again, going back to that mindful practice that we did last night as part of the session, I was wondering about you and your relationship with spirituality. So, again, when I worked on that book in publishing many years ago, um, there was a real theme of atheism through the book, but in a kind of spiritual way. You know, it was kind of interesting. It was like you can be spiritual in this life and have a wonderful experience with your own existence in this life without believing that there is anything beyond this life. Um, but myself, I'm very spiritual. And I was wondering, do you think, is is philosophy kind of inherently atheist? Is it more aligned with atheism or is there room within philosophy for spirituality? Well, if you want a, a straight and direct answer, uh, this is spiritual work. Full stop. One, one of the things that Plato threw up was this idea of being and becoming. And we tend to spend a lot of our lives becoming something, becoming a student, becoming a, you know, a grown adult, becoming a, a successful publisher, becoming a librarian, becoming a chap sitting in a chair talking into a microphone about <laughs> philosophical matters <laughs> and it's uh, all of that comes to pass but the being that which is doesn't come to pass and we can talk about that till the cows come home and you can read about it but unless it's actually experienced it doesn't mean anything so it is actually experiencing yourself, your true self. And that is a that is beyond description. 
Mm. It's beyond limit. It can't be claimed. It can't be defined. Uh, and it's probably best summed up by one of the great teachers who said, in order to be- become or to begin to become what you truly are, you have to come out of what you are not. So, and then it goes on to say, you're not those thoughts in the mind. You're not those different wills that you make. You're not those different decisions that you take. Because uh, they all come to pass. Mm. You know, my mum's 92. She's lost a memory or short-term memory. And you say, how's the memory go? Oh, I don't need it. It's good. I'm good. I don't need it. You know. <laughs> but then she'll still say there is something, uh, you know, in her that she said just doesn't change. It's never aged. It's it's always been there. Mm, and um, Wow. And I think when you experience an opportunity, as uh, we did last night, to sit and actually allow all that mental and physical activity to fall away, we begin to discover there is a real stillness. And that stillness and is not something separate. It's not something else. It's not somewhere else. The stillness is, and all the rest of it just drops away. So there is this peace and contentment which is ever available when we choose to avail ourselves of it. But the issue is for most of us, we don't. Mm. The thing about meditation, meditation is offered by the school and it's fundamental key to the work in the school um, and the discipline is you meditate twice a day uh, and um, there are days where you know you come up with some great ideas during meditation you work out what you're going to have for dinner and what you're going to say to you know so and so when you meet them and all very nice but not very useful however the practice is very important and what we tend to do is have an opinion about the way things were. So you can give it your best shot and it's just you just feel like you're walking through a dust storm, you know, in the mind mm-hmm. or a tempest in the mind. Uh, and you come out and think, well, that wasn't much good, but you don't really know. You, you can't really value the practice um, because what what's actually happening is, is that you're, you are actually undertaking a discipline. And discipline is not meant to be, well, it's a word that a lot of people don't like now, have an emotional response to, but discipline in its true sense is really a means to being free. It's And it's described by one of the wise sages as not being a long process but a way of life. And um, yeah, so w- w- when there are practices like meditation, it tends to actually become part of the the day so you just quietly disappear and meditate quietly reappear and um, Mm. you know sometimes the benefits are obvious there and then and but you've got no idea what's sort of going on within because it is actually a means of cleaning up the show cleaning up the mind cleaning up the heart so it's very very profound but Meditation, when it first came to the West via the the teachers from the East, 
you're from India particularly. When it came to the school in the 60s, meditation was not a word that people spoke about very often. And um, so Maharishi came to London, uh, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, and um, he connected with two groups. One was the school in, in its form, the current form in London, and uh, there was a study society. And uh, as a result of that, meditation was taken up. But at the same time, the Maharishi met up with the Beatles and uh, a lot of popular figures, and uh, and it became popularised, and people knew about it. But the school's been practising meditation in a disciplined way since 1964, 65, mm. Great. So when people come to the School of Philosophy, they are they're working on kind of ideas, but they're also working on the spirit or the soul or the essence of them that is more than their ego and thoughts? Uh, they say there are two ways uh, that this work occurs. So you have experience of that which limits and impedes the obstacles, which are some are very deep, deeply held ideas we have you know, about ourselves and generally about ourselves, and uh, such as I'm not as good as you are or, uh, you know, uh, I don't have enough or whatever it happens to be, some idea that is we're so used to hearing subtly that we don't even know it's there and it just, just operates um, quite mechanically. So there is the opportunity to actually observe these limitations and obstacles and ideas and when we've seen them, it's possible to let them go. Um, so the, and then there is direct experience of the unity itself, um, where there, there is no individual sort of going, "Oh, whoopee! I've just <laughs> experienced the unity." Uh, there is just a, a sense of peace, contentment, and unity. So it, it works in in a way, but with both wings. It's like a bird with two wings, and. Um, it's necessary that we see what's in the way and uh, deal with it, meet it. And uh, it's necessary that we, we taste truth. Mm. And we talked last night about, see, you know, truly seeing and, and seeing things just as they are without trying to layer your own perception over them and how yeah. useful that is in your life you know like when somebody is short with you because they've had a terrible morning and you tell yourself it's because they hate you instead of seeing it for what it is you know like this all this stuff is so intelligent in terms of I think the way that we live in terms of helping us to live better less angry, less reactive lives. So I was just listening to a CD, an old CD I've had for quite some time that was made by uh, a philosopher from Ireland who's no longer on this mortal coil. But he was talking about patience and he was saying that impatience is the cause of all ill in a way, or all that which is... Uh, perverse is uh, as opposed to being pure uh, grows out of 
impatience. And that's where our desires for whatever it is, whatever outcome we want, um, rule the show. And, you know, the whole world and the creation doesn't work uh, at the speed I want it to. Um, deliverance from this awful situation I'm in is not coming quick enough. <laughs> you know, so, and, you know, you describe someone being short with you, well, that's, you know, impatience. And if you um, can meet it patiently, mm. it'll do the job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. The man was talking and he was saying, he was asked a question which was, how often do you get disturbed during the day? And he's, he said he thought about it and then realised he needed to get a calculator out to actually work it out. Because he said, you know, I'm disturbed by them leaving their bikes in the rain. I'm disturbed by the doors being left open. I'm disturbed and feeling the, this impatience with drivers and with you know, they're too fast and too slow and, Mm -hmm. you know, and all drivers really, he said. And then he went on to talk about being impatient with the pedestrians as well and and so on. And if you think about the number of times you actually have an emotional response to things being different from how you want it to be, it's an awful Mm. lot. Oh, so often, so often. Peter, today we've talked a lot about philosophy and about the kind of spiritual side of philosophy. Um, how would you describe your own spirituality? Do you have do you have a description for it, or is it something beyond which you would you try and kind of define? Anything I think about it is wrong. Mm. One of the first things that students are told when they first come to the school is don't believe a word you hear, (laughs) which is very sage advice, and put it to the test. There is this notion that um, to lay claim to anything in, in this way is to actually limit it and to even speak of it is to limit it. And it's very interesting because when there is a moment of realisation of some sort, you can describe what happened before it, you can describe what happened after it, but it's it's impossible to describe what happens during it, during that moment. It's like a, med- a deep meditation. You, you can describe what happened before, you can describe what happened after, but what happens is beyond description. So it's just, as I say, everything you think about it is not true. Mm. And rather than sort of saying I'm a, I'm a spiritual man, uh, it would be better to say that the quest is to come out of what I'm not. Thank you so much, Peter. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. If you're listening and would like to learn more, please check out the School of Philosophy's website. If you just Google Melbourne School of Philosophy, it'll come up. And also, if you're a Yarra Libraries patron and you were interested in coming to one of our workshops, keep an eye out because we will be running 
these types of workshops and courses with Peter regularly in the future. Thanks everyone for listening and thank you so much, Peter, for being with me today. You've been listening to Yarra Libraries podcast. That was Community Programs Officer Nell interviewing the Melbourne School of Philosophy's Peter Farrago. The Philosophy Begins in Wonder sessions can be found on the Yarra Libraries website. They are currently booked out, but there are wait lists and as Nell mentioned, we'll be working with the School of Philosophy in the future. As for the library, remember that while our physical doors are closed, online we are always open. With all the e-books, e-magazines, e-audiobooks, online digital training and author events that you know and love. Until next week, all the best channeling that patience that Peter and Nell mentioned. I know it's something that doesn't come naturally to me. See you next time.